This year is your year, even if you also said that in 2022. And however you want to make a splash, Mother Nature can help you every step of the way with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Wool Runner Mizzles are shoes made from premium, supernatural, weather-repellent materials. So you can jump into this year with both feet, rain or shine. The high-top uppers are made from temperature-regulating, moisture-wicking merino wool treated with durable puddle guard technology to keep you dry and comfy. And you can take confident strides with supernatural rubber treads that grip for all-conditioned traction and sugarcane-based sweet foam midsoles that put a little bounce in each step. Allbirds is constantly innovating to increase the performance and longevity of their earth-friendly materials. So even on your toughest outings, you'll wear out before your shoes do. This year, make a splash without worrying about getting your feet wet with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Discover your perfect pair at allbirds.com today. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Good evening, race fans, and welcome to Drafting the Circuits on the Hoobazoo Radio Network. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about a very busy news week in racing. Joining me in the studio, I've got Louise Torres and Richard Uden. Guys, how we doing? Good, thank you. It's been pretty calm, to say the least, in the world of racing news. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so let's let's just I'm just gonna drop this list of topics uh, and then we could just start wherever. But but first off, uh, so we did have a couple races this past weekend. Uh, Kevin Har- Harvick won the NASCAR race. That's not very surprising. Pierre Gasly won the Formula One race. Well, that's quite surprising uh, given the fact he was joined he was joined <laughs> on the podium by Carlos Sainz and Lance Stroll in the um, McLaren and uh, Racing Point. Cars and of course Gasly, uh, he drives for AlphaTauri. Um, so uh, no Mercedes, Ferrari, or Red Bull on the podium. So that that is quite a bit surprising. Uh, also, in other news, we had the announcement that uh, Auto Club Speedway is going to totally revamp their two-mile oval and cut it down to I guess this in this year of COVID we're talking about 25 percent. So that track is going to be 25%. It's going to be a half-mile oval. Um, we'll talk about that. Uh, uh, IndyCar finally announced uh, Mid-Ohio will happen this coming weekend. Um, one race will be on NBCSN. The other race will be on NBC proper at 1 p.m. on Sunday, going up against the NFL, the dreaded NFL that um, IndyCar does not like to go up against. Uh, there are going to be uh, 6,000 fans per race in attendance, so that's good news. Um, in other news, Sergio Perez had a big announcement uh, today that he will not be returning with Racing Point. Um, and then that other 
little story out there about uh, seven-time NASCAR champion Jimmy Johnson uh, has got a, an, an agreement. Uh, I won't say it's a contract because there's still a stipulation about funding, but to join the uh, Chip Ganassi IndyCar racing team for the next two years. So uh, with that being said, uh, who wants to grab a topic and start with it? All right, all right. Let's talk about the NASCAR side of things because, let's face it, Fontana, here's this, Here's my gripe with Fontana being from a two-mile to a short drive. First and foremost, it's in the process of being developed by San Bernardino. It got to be passed by San Bernardino County. So it's being in the talks. It's not like it's, a, it's official, official. But considering the property nearby is Los Angeles, is under 50 miles, there's a lot, lot of valuable land, and I think in this time, in this day and age, building a short track from the ground up at a different location is just not viable or feasible. Unfortunately, as much as I really don't like the fact that a unique circuit like Fontana, which is one of only two two-mile circuits on the NASCAR calendar, that also has a lot of rich history and tragedy. For in it, when it comes to IndyCar competition, it's going to go on the wayside for a short track, which is what the fans want. But Fontana, for me, on the personal side, being from the West Coast, it has some value, some unique value because there aren't many tracks like it. And it's kind of funny how people agree to the fact that Fontana, you at one point, like about a decade ago, is right up there with Pocono is one of the most boringest or worst tracks out there. And now, twenty about ten years later, it's one of the more favorable tracks. I think that's where a lot of my frustration is with, but at the same yeah, time... Yeah, tracks, tracks tend to change over time as the as the surface wears and whatnot. And I had heard somebody had made the comment that, you know, despite how how nice the surface has gotten on Fontana and, and the racing has become good, they're, they're just about set for a repay that's going to, you know, throw, throw it back a couple years, uh, take a while yeah. to season, season that thing back in, so to say. But uh, but realistically, like you said there, the, the real estate value, if they take that, all the land they have there, right, and, and make the track down to a half-mile oval, they they can literally parcel large portions of the land there, and and you know turn it around for for quite a quite a bundle of money in the real estate department. Now, if you recall, it's yeah. Cal- California real estate values are what did mm-hmm. in Ontario Motor Speedway back in 1980, and um, Riverside back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. It was you know it's all. The real estate value is, you know, we can make a whole lot more of this redeveloping the property than we can running a racetrack. So I, I don't know if that factors into the decision, but it's certainly, it, it's I, certainly, I it uh, yeah, it's certainly a self-financing project if they, you know, turn around and, and parcel out the land. Um, yeah, I mean, you now the, the layout time. itself. Let's talk about the layout. The 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 half mile layout they've proposed. Uh, it's long straightaways. Tight corners, very similar to a Martinsville, but with uh, banking closer to a Bristol, I think, or maybe not quite as banked as a Bristol. So, uh, uh, Richard, how do you think the racing will play out in a circuit like that? I know all we've seen is a, uh, you know, a, a, a draftsman's drawing, but uh, yeah. how, how does that sound to you? I think it's going to be interesting. I so say if you got like a Martinsville but with Bristol-style bankings, then it could be, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, really. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But as you quite, I mean, I actually spent two two to three weeks out in California uh, early this year at um, at that location at the Fontana Speedway location, and 
is it, that is for 30 miles in each direction apart from mountains that's the biggest misused piece of land and it's a shame that it, 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 it's been a good track but if they can make something exciting out of it then i think it's you know i mean nascar will get more money for for selling off some of that land than sins will do with anything else they own but it's probably the most expensive real estate they own given its location oh, yeah certainly it is yeah just look at watch watch any of these uh <laughs> real estate shows that are based in um, California where they're talking yeah, about yeah. these and real estate pro- property brothers and stuff like that where they're talking about these these homes that are the same size as as my home in Kentucky uh, selling for four and five million dollars. I said, golly, I wish my house was worth that, but uh, uh, but it's not. You take the one and a half, won't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> so I mean, yeah. it just the, the real the real estate property values in in and particularly in that Southern California area are just, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And so that facility is sitting there. They've got, uh, you know, the NASCAR date. Um, they don't have the IndyCar date anymore. They weren't making any money off the IndyCar date. Um, and the, the, the facility is infrequently used. So if they were to sell off half the land, that well, had a huge profit. I mean, in I terms mean, of racing, it's infrequently used, but the infield area is pretty big. And, yeah, um, they do you know, commercials some of the, the people out there. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons I was out there. We were doing commercial work in there, um, actually in the, on the infield, on the road course there for, for a few weeks. Um, and, you know, when we weren't using it, when we were working out the parking lots there, there was, you know, um, track days and stuff. But again, you know, in the course of the next 10 years, the amount of money they'll make from those compared to what they could get for selling it off and reducing their uh, tax bills and, um, you know, overheads in terms of maintenance is, is going to be massive. And it's it's a no-brainer for them, really. Really, really. Plus, I mean, we've got NASCAR fans have been wanting more short tracks. I mean, we've got Bristol-Martinsville, and I like to count Richmond as a short track, although – NASCAR really doesn't count as a short track, uh, although it's a short track for, you know, say, faster cars like Indy cars. They counted um, Truex this Richmond wins that short track. I think well, it was, there you so, go. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah Rich, Richmond's what, three, qu- three quarters win. of a mile or seven eighths? Three quarters, if three, I remember. Yeah, yeah so it's, 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 yeah, because you get to one mile and NASCAR considers it a super speedway, or a speedway, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas IndyCar, a one-mile track would still be considered a short oval. Uh, I remember Nazareth was about one mile and was considered a short oval. So, but but to your point, I mean Fontana is a bit unique. The only other track in the country similar to it is Michigan, and Fontana was patterned after Michigan. Um, so but yeah, they so race that, that's a different. Huh? They race completely different. That's what makes those two tracks different and unique. For oh, certainly, race. certainly, but, but, but the basic profile is very similar. Atlanta's up there in terms of the surface and the wear on the surface, isn't it? Yes, yes. You know, but they're reducing was, that sort of... 1997. Right, yeah, but I was talking more about the, the actual the layout, the physical yeah, for sure. sh- shape and length of the track is similar to Michigan. Absolutely. So, But but anyway, so that'll be gone by the wayside, provided everything is you know approved, signed, stamped, sealed, and we'll, we'll, we'll begin a new chapter in... Uh, Auto Club Speedway history has a short track, so and that's uh, uh, that'll be you know fun to watch, but sad at the same time to see the old track go away. But at least they're not just raising the whole thing to the ground and and being done with it. So like we've yeah. seen so many other West Coast tracks uh, meet that fate. So but let's let's move on because again we have a lot of topics to uh, discuss. Richard, grab one of those topics and uh, let's talk a bit. You want to talk about your friend uh, Pierre Gasly? 
I, I know you had, yeah, I know you had I know you had a chance to uh chat with him a little bit after after his big race win. So let's uh let's talk about Gasly and just kind of how right, that right. that cuz that was one of the more interesting Formula 1 races that we've seen and this is, comes on the heels of our, of our show last year where our main topic is Formula 1 has become boring and predictable and then suddenly we have this find out what do you need to get an exciting Formula 1 race? I'll give Hamilton a penalty. Yeah, I mean, and it was it was deserved, it was justified. I mean, they they, they um, made a mistake, the team and the driver made a mistake there. The information has it's been out online. You know, the the information pack that the FIA sends out to all the teams clearly showed where the warning boards were to show to state that the pit road um, pit lane was closed. Um, slightly different from normal. Normally, they have a set of lights on the entrance to the pit lane, but because it's like a blind entry. Um, they had it on the uh, outside of Parabolica, and and because it was such a blind entry, that was one of the reasons that um, they, excuse me, um, you know, had to push. Uh, I think it was Magnussen's car, wasn't it, uh, from from the side of the track there. Now there's this whole thing about oh, when he parked next to a marshal's post, why can they push it back? Now I didn't realise this, but if the marshal post has small orange paint or a, a thin band of orange paint. Uh, around the entrance, that means it's it's just for marshals getting onto the track. If it's got a thick band of orange paint, and that means a car can be pushed back through it. So unfortunately, Kevin got the wrong width of band next to the marshal post and stopped up. But uh, yeah, it, it made you know, made for an exciting race, and uh, the timing of it again was a little bit unfortunate on Hamilton because they had to uh, red flag the race after uh, Charles Leclerc had a huge accident coming out of Parabolica. You know, just lost control, just swapped ends and. Uh, I dread to think, I mean, he must have been doing the good end of 120, 130 miles an hour when he uh, hit the wall there. And, um, yeah, there's not very often that I watch a, a Formula 1 race and I, I see an accident and you go, ooh, you know, it sort of catches your breath a little bit just watching it. And that was one of them. I was, uh, yeah, you know, you, you sort of stop for a second watching a, a violent impact like that. Thankfully, it was okay. No. You know, again, testament to the safety. Um and the like, but yeah, it's definitely a red flag because they had to rebuild the uh, tire barriers there. And actually, it's, you know, it's far more dangerous to the cars if you keep them running behind the safety car for too long. It probably took them what half an hour to rebuild that that barrier. So, right now, that that run... brings me to the next thing I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Now, the we don't see a red flag in Formula One very often. Nope. It's not it's not a common occurrence, and I, I was surprised that they lined up again for another standing start i didn't realize that was the protocol in formula one yeah as it seems it, it seemed to me like you know if you it, it, the cars are vastly different these days but uh you know if you re- would recall back in the, the 60s and 70s that they would literally use 25 percent of the clutch on that standing start now of course <laughs> now you know now it's all launch control and those sort of things there so that yeah. the the two standing starts in one race would uh would never fly then. There'd be no car left, <laughs> no. no transmission left in the car. But I thought it was very interesting, and, and, and it made for a pretty exciting day to see uh, see two starts in the same race. Yeah, no, it did. And I think I'm trying to remember going back, you know, the previous races that have been red flagged. There hasn't been many in the last 10 or 20 years. And I think the reason they've done that is um, you go back to uh, 94 at um, Suzuka, when the the red flagged the race due to the rain, uh, and what they did there was they like split. They had two races and then combined aggregate times. Yeah, so, that was you know, a you hot. Yes, yeah, that made it. Yeah, that made it very very hard to follow. 
Yeah, so I think at that point they said yeah, there must be a better way of doing this. And I think it's good they do the standing start. I, I really do. I think it's, um, you know, the restarts in Formula 1 behind the safety car. And we've talked about this before. I'd love to see them have a restart zone like you have in NASCAR. Because at the moment, there's very little passing on a restart in, in Formula 1, really. And I guess they do it in a way, really, because unlike NASCAR, they're not using a safety car to, to make for an entertainment value. They're doing it for a safety value. Um you know, NASCAR loves the, you know, five laps to go. You know, let's throw a caution out and, uh, you know. Four Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The one tries to avoid doing that. So you know, NASCAR likes to bunch the field. Yeah, if somebody's got somebody yeah. has too, too much of a lead, let's bunch the field. Exactly. You know, spice up you know, the or shot. Danica's yeah. about, or Dale Jr. or Danica's about to go a lap down. Let's throw a caution. Oh, <laughs> let's fix that. Or oh, yeah. even back in the day, Jeff Gordon has like a three-second lead. Let's throw a yellow at random. Because I remember yeah. in his book, he was telling they had like some sort of device indicated to slow down because he's pulling away. Because I think the higher ups in NASCAR realize he's stinking up the, the joint with his dominance. Yeah. Well, I mean, I talked about this in the past. We, uh, you know, when you're doing race strategy analysis, there was the more the, there was a parameter built into our strategy uh, tool that when uh, Danica or Dale Jr. were the lucky dog, the probability of a, a, a debris caution was far higher. Amazing statistically, it wasn't an you know it was statistic statistical anomaly. Easy for some to say. And uh, yeah, so we <laughs> built we built that into you know we analyzed like two or three years worth of race data. And the chances of that happening were far higher when those drivers were those positions. So we actually ended up building that into our race strategy tool. Um, but yeah, another story. Um, another story, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it was good. And it, it, you know, obviously, if Hamilton hadn't had that penalty, he would have driven off into the distance and, you know, it would have been a boring race. Um, the big story going into the race, though, was this ban on what they call party mode for qualifying. So the the rule is now that between the start, because between qualifying and, and the race, the cars are in what they call part fair make. So the teams can't do any work on the car or very, very minimal. Uh, so did the, the ruling is that uh, between the start of the qualifying and the end of the race, the driver cannot adjust his engine map, which, you know, that can adjust fuel consumption that can change um, power bands and the like. So, you know, Mercedes have said, well, this isn't really going to cause us any issue. Everybody's saying, oh, this is going to knock Mercedes. It actually turned out it probably knocked, in qualifying in the first phase of the race, it probably knocked uh, Honda more than anybody. And the other thing you saw was that um, when Valtteri didn't make a great start and dropped back to about fifth, I think it was, he wasn't able to push through the, the, the pack because he'd, his engine mode was set at whatever level they'd predetermined. So there was no ability for him to, you know, in previous races, he'd be like, okay, well, I'm just going to turn my engine up for three or four laps, get past, you know, the, the racing points and, you know, the McLarens and the Renaults or whatever it was, and then just, you know, follow uh, Lewis for the rest of the race. He wasn't able to do that. So th that was probably the most telling thing. And I think another thing we're going to see going into um, 
and I think we were we we lost that opportunity this weekend. But with the with the uh, engine maps, the drivers are going to be having to conserve fuel themselves. Um, in Formula One, there's a regulation on the fuel flow rate, um, the amount of fuel consumed per hour that can be used at any given time during the race. So what will happen is the teams won't fill the cars with enough fuel to complete a race distance. So, you know, if you need so many kilograms of fuel, they'll be two or three kilograms short going into the uh, at the start of the race. And, you know, the drivers are good enough to lift and coast and manage that. And in the past, they've probably changed engine map. And the engine, you know, that map just starves the engine a little bit of fuel and docks their power a little bit. But the teams have done all the calculations to say, okay, you know, you run this engine mode for... 20% of the laps and you run this engine mode for 40% of the laps and you run this engine mode for another 40% of the laps, apart from, you know, having to overtake somebody, this will get you to the end of the race. And now that's on the drivers and it becomes far more of an analog control. You know, are we lifting and coasting enough? You know, you could see, you know, especially if there's a battle going on between drivers, you know, somebody getting to the end of the race and they're like, whoa, I've, I've got to conserve fuel here. I'm, I don't have enough fuel to get to the race, so I'm going to have to lift and coast a lot more than somebody else. So that is, pro to my mind anyway, going to be the biggest thing that we see from the banning of party mode. Certainly, yeah. So let's talk about the race winner a little bit because uh, Pierre yeah. Gasly, we've, we've talked about him on and off on the show, how he seems to be uh, outperforming um, – in the AlphaTauri, the the guy that's in the Red Bull, uh, Albon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now, now he's like, why well, he's a Grand Prix winner now. Nobody can take yeah. that away from him. You can say, the podium, oh, you know, you but know? Uh, he, he not only, yeah, but he drove he drove brilliantly after um, Hamilton got the penalty. You know, he didn't. Yeah. He that win and, did not fall in his lap. You know, no. he, he held on to that lead. He was getting pressure from behind. Very, very, yeah. Drove yeah, very, drove very smart race, very control. good race. So Yeah, yeah. He, he put it to stroll on the restart there. He controlled the race when he had an opportunity to do that. Um, and it's not just this week. I mean, you, you could go back to, to countless races pretty much since he got dumped by a Red Bull um, ahead of Spa last year. Excuse me. You know, countless races where, you know, you've looked at him and go, God, you know, the guy, what went wrong at Red Bull? And, uh, you know, we talked about this on the on the show. I mean, we as we've always said we could do a whole show dedicated to Red Bull and their driver strategy, if you like. But um, it really does, to my mind, stack up with how Max Verstappen centric Red Bull has become. And you know, it also shows that Danny Ricciardo played a great card because he saw it coming, uh, and it's allowed Red Bull to become Max Verstappen's team. Um, and you know, it's a shame in a way because they're obviously a good team and they're, they're, you know, potentially putting unfair demands on these kids that are coming in to try and compete with them. Yeah. But I think that, I mean, you, you could not ask any more from Gasly. You know, he has been head and shoulders. To my mind, he's going to be, you know, unless something drastic happens between now and the end of the season, he's my driver of the year. Certainly. Um, so let's, you know, let me just throw this out, okay, while we're, because uh, there are, you know, um, he said publicly, I think I'm ready for that Red Bull seat again. And then, then yeah. I read a number of comments that, that that general feeling is that he's better off being the number one on Alpha Tori than playing yeah. second fiddle to Max and getting the leftovers. Um, I mean, because sure. Alpha Tori is they have been constantly improving as a team. They you know, they're you know, they're not running up front, they're you know but you know, that's past weekend. 
they don't have that stigma anymore as like the junior Red Bull team. They're kind of like building themselves as their own type of thing. For sure. They, they can fight with the McLarens and, and, and the Reynolds on in, on some days. And I think yeah. going forward, I think having Gasly around, staying around, could build the team wonders. Because right now, you, like we talked about multiple times in the past, probably this whole entire F1 season, that you if there's going to be somebody that's going to make Red Bull a constructor championship contender, that driver better be content as the number two driver and accept the role as the number two driver. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I think Gasly, as you say, has definitely shown that he's more than that. Um, but you look at what opportunities are going to be coming up in the next two or three years, and you know Mercedes aren't going to have the opportunity, Red Bull aren't going to have the opportunity, Ferrari won't. Renault, you've got two years of Alonso. I'm not, I haven't been convinced by Ocon. I've been, to tell you the truth, I've been a little bit disappointed with him this year. You know, he he has that arrogance about him a little bit, and I I just I think he's something hasn't quite fit there with him. Um, no, it has, thought, he hasn't delivered like. Some people no, thought he got the food from racing point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all the decent seats are full. I mean, you, McLaren's going to yeah. be loaded up with Ricardo and um, uh, Lando Alonso. Norris. So, yeah. So. Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah. No, Alonso will be so, yeah, Renault. What, right, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, do you look at the – do you then take a bit of a punt on one of the, you know, lower teams, you know, maybe try and, you know, get on board at a Williams or get on board at a Haas or something like that and try and segregate yourself from this from the young driver scheme? Um, and certainly, you know, again, we've talked about this. If you're a, you know, a talented, you know, go-kart, you know, a kid at 12, 13, 14 years old coming through and you have all the big F1 teams courting you, that Red Bull package probably isn't a particularly attractive one. The Ferrari one's pretty stocked up for the next few years. So, you know, probably the Mercedes and the, um, the Renault, um, you know, or maybe even the McLaren, set up a, a, a reasonable, you know, probably the way to go right now. But Red Bull Junior program. Yeah, look at Lewis Hamilton came up through the McLaren system. Yeah. And and, and uh, he's he's done pretty good career-wise. Well, he hasn't been has. too bad, has he? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, and, and look, at I think like right now, Russell is part of the Mercedes program, and we know he yeah. eventually will get up there. It's just a matter of can he score points before he ultimately moves up there, because time will tell. But right now, it looks like he might be Bottas' successor in the future. I think that's going to be the, the natural progression. I know he had a three-year contract at Williams, or he had two with an option for a third, and they've activated the third. So, you know, I, I've been very impressed with Russell again. I think, you know, another unsung hero uh, in, in many ways for his performance, especially in qualifying. I mean, through a year and a half, he has not been out-qualified by a teammate yet. That's, uh, you know, I mean, you, you can you know, question the quality of his, his teammates, but still the consistency levels there and, and putting that Williams during qualifying into positions that he probably didn't necessarily deserve to be in have been outstanding and probably, you know, could do with a little bit more race pace, a bit more race craft. Um, that may be down more to the, the nature of the car in terms of the concept of, how, you know, how, how efficient it is at following other cars. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I think there's a lot of young talent out there and, and Gasly's probably head of that pack and Certainly, uh, yeah. needs an opportunity now you mentioned williams and that's the other big news story <laughs> um that yeah. uh williams is now well sold. one of the news stories <laughs> yeah <laughs> one yeah one of the one of the many big news stories so williams has yeah. been sold uh but yeah. now yeah. after this past weekend grand prix that we will not have the involvement of uh frank mm-hmm. williams or claire williams yeah. uh so uh, the team will in a sense be williams in 
name only, uh, yep. you know, much the same as Lotus continue on after Colin Chapman had passed on, and then the rest and of McLaren as well, you know, and McLaren as well, certainly, certainly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's, so, what do you what do you think about that? Now we've got that, an interim team director right now. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. He used to be the, uh, the head of operations at McLaren. So an experienced guy, you know, somebody will come in and, and you know, won't rock the boat too. But you imagine that, um, you know, the new owners and the new board, are, you know, looking for a, um, you know, a big name to come in. Uh, yeah, and, and Williams will be a little bit, you know, and I think in the past they've got a little bit scared off with what happened with Paddy Lowe there. I mean, that didn't really work out for them. So I think these guys are probably going to go and make a little bit more of a bolder step to go out there and maybe bring somebody in, uh, a big name from one of the other teams. Um you know, I mean, Mercedes have got more technical directors flirting around than I've had hot dinners. So uh, they may just pick one of those guys. I mean, I think at the last count, there was five or six people working for Mercedes that at one point in their career have held the title of technical director at another team. So they certainly have a wealth of experience. And, you know, that shows. But it wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys was like itching to to get you know, back in the, you know, be captain of the ship, if you like. And the Williams name, no matter what, you know, no matter whether it's Frank or Claire or whoever, you know, running the, the, the company in the background, is still an iconic name and is still a name that people are going to want to work for. And, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, having worked there for a few years and having had, you know, limited interactions with both Claire and Frank, there's no doubt that... Um, you know, they, they had the interest of the team and they would do anything to go racing. And they've certainly given, um, you know, in Frank's case, anyway, the vast majority of his life to that organization. And Claire, again, a big, you know, she's been there nearly 20 years. So uh, there's a lot to be said for what they've done. And, you know, it's, and, and they're, they're very realistic and they're very sensible people. They know that the livelihood of, five, six hundred people that work for the organization is more important than than their own personal desire to run the team. Um, as strong as that desire is. And, and they've made the tough decision, but the I think in the long term the correct decision to step away. Um, and, to, and to give, you know, the new owners uh, an opportunity to make their own stamp on it. And I think, you know, for all the people that are there, it's an exciting time. I and mean, if you look on, you know, some of the motorsport um, job sites that are out there internationally I mean, Williams have like 30 openings right now for positions so they're certainly on a recruitment push uh, you know you'd imagine that the new owners have injected some cash and uh, it's it exciting times you know because the, the guys there are, are, are fantastic and it always frustrated me a little bit when when you hear especially you know you go on some of these forums and you see people say oh well you know Williams has got all these shit engineers because they're down at the back or you know, whoever it is at that particular year are slow. That means they've got terrible engines. No, they don't. You know, Mercedes, the guys that work at Mercedes are just as talented as the guys that work at Williams and just as talented as the guys that work at any of these teams. But it's the resources in, and, and the number of people they have working for them on a project. You know, you look at, uh, you know, you look at the numbers of staff. That's where the guys like Mercedes can um, excel because they cover more detail. You know, Williams, you've got one guy doing a job, Mercedes will have four or five guys doing the same job, so uh, it's nothing against the individuals there, they've got a great group of people, as all teams do, and I, I hope that this is the start of a little bit of a resurgence there, you know, the need a, you know, everybody I think wants to see them back up to the front of the grid. 
Yeah, and certainly they the last couple of years, if nothing else, they've been cash strapped. And, and yeah, this, and uh, you know, from all moment. from all accounts, even though a lot of it is secretive, this this investment company or this capital gains yep. company or whatever whatever you call it has has some big big money behind it. Now, how much of their yeah. their their own money they're they're willing to sink into Formula One results remains to be seen. But but they've got a lot of movers and shakers in the business world mm-hmm. in that investment group who should sure. be able to uh, you know attract some. Uh, uh, sponsors for sure, and with the budget and with the budget cap uh, going in place, you know, for next year and, and going forward beyond that, it gives a lot more certainty. You, you know, you never have any certainty in sport, but it gives you a lot more certainty in terms of what your expenditure is going to be every year. And with the new Concord agreement, there's a lot more certainty on what your returns are going to be. So, you know, they probably can tell pretty clearly now what the you know what operating profits they need to make to become a sustainable organization and and your credit has to go to the likes of liberty and um you know ross broad and those guys for introducing this um you know budget cap and you know making it a viable alternative because i can't think of any team that was bought out by a financial group in the last 20 years you know obviously teams have been bought out by other manufacturers and other engine suppliers but in terms of a, a financial group, you know, people who are really money people who, you know, are bean counters, they want to make a profit. I can't think of the last time somebody like that was involved in Formula One to this extent. So it's a huge shot in the arm and a huge um, level of praise, I think, for, say, for Liberty and for Ross Braun and those guys that, uh, you know, companies like these investment firms are starting to look at Formula One. And it certainly, it certainly looks on the face of things that the, uh, these but these caps are, are going to be a good thing. Yeah, I mean that remains to be seen. But you know, we hope I hope to see the Williams name in Formula One for years and years to come. They're one of the, and, you know, one of one of the great teams they've got. Was is it uh, seven seven world titles? Uh, they've got four, uh, fifteen in total. I think it is. I think seven drivers and eight constructors, or six drivers and seven. Six yeah, drivers and seven constructors. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, the interesting stat is that the seven seven drivers champions. They've never had the same guy win two championships with Williams. No. And all, you know, I right. will, um, and I'll also be pretty certain that uh, the agreement and buyout clauses was that that Williams name will stay around for a long time. Um, you know, and, and again, it attracts people. You know, and this is no disrespect to. You know, Racing Point or Aston Martin, what they're going to be called. You know, they don't have that something about it. You know, I, I mean, I'd worked for some big companies, and I remember, I still remember my first day working at Williams. You know, you, you go in there, and you know, the hair stands up on the back of your neck. You know, thinking about the history, and it was it was Williams that got me into Formula One in the midnight in the early nineties. So, you know, it was something special to go in there and be around that history. And I think that you know, the, they, I, I read, you know, Claire and Frank would not sell this team to somebody or a group that would not honor that history and maintain it and move forward. So, um, you know, I, I think they're in a good position there. All right. So let's move on to another topic. Let me look at the list again. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got well, as long as we're talking about Formula One, let's talk about Sergio Perez, yeah. who uh, made an announcement today that he will not be returning uh, with Racing Point, that of course has everybody uh, yeah. rumoring that that is where Sebastian Vettel will land next year. 
I think that's a given, isn't it, really? I think this is one of the yeah. worst-kept secrets in, in Formula 1, unfortunately. You've got to feel sorry for Perez. Um, you know, he hasn't done much wrong. And in all fairness, it was because of him uh, taking Force India to court that actually pushed the team into this position and enabled Racing Point to exist. If he hadn't taken them to court um, for, un- I think it was unpaid salary or, or something along those lines, um, it, you know, they would never have gone into administration and they'd never been bought out and, in, in this way. So um, you know, he's got to take, the guy's got a lot of credit, but unfortunately, I think the lure from you know Aston Martin want to be competitive and want to to push um, you know the branding. Um, Sebastian Fettel is far more marketable and more experienced and as good a driver as Perez is. I do believe that Fettel is a better driver. So you've got the complete package there, and you know there's money floating around at uh, at Racing Point, and you know Lawrence Stroll is going to going to flex those muscles and he has done it in this case um, well certainly yeah. and of course you know and then Lance Stroll being you know being the son of the one of the primary owners is his seat is relatively safe yeah so yeah. so you know <laughs> so Sergio so Sergio's the odd man out but uh, do, do we see a landing spot for Sergio at all I mean I know Haas is not signed sealed and delivered for next year um, yeah I mean for, it's Alfa Romeo that's been some development it's about him going there in case whether he's going to replace Raikkonen, whose season after 20, whose career is up in the year after 2020. He doesn't know if he's going to he'd be interested to continue. And of course, Giovinazzi, he's not really been the well, flashes of brilliance. From my understanding, the Alfa Romeo uh, situation is that Ferrari have a veto on one of the drivers. So unless Ferrari wants to keep Giovinazzi, so so basically, you know, Sauber can or Alfa sorry, Alfa Romeo can turn around and say, yeah, I want. Kimi, or I want Sergio, or I want Hulkenberg, or whoever. Um, and then Ferrari turns around and says, well, we want Schwartzman or Eilat or Schumacher in that car. You know, Giovinazzi's had his chance. He's done okay. Nothing amazing. Right, let's put somebody else in there. Um, and speaking so, of Eilat, yeah, that's a, that's a name I, that I hear a lot. That, and so he's just... Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're watching the Formula 2 races from last weekend, Schumacher won his first race of the season, first feature race that he's won. Um and drove very, very, very fantastic start. I think qualified second and was, oh, sorry, qualified sixth and was second going to the first corner. Um, Eilat had a stall during his pit stop and pushed, you know, was amazing coming through the pack there. And, and Schwartzman, I think Schwartzman's still leading the championship or Eilat maybe leading the championship now. But Ferrari have three of the top four or maybe now the top three drivers in the Ferrari Academy are in the top three positions in the Formula 2 standings. So it's, you know, take your pick, really. Um, you know, Schumacher, I'd say he's a bit of a slow learner. If you look at his history, in every series he's been in, his first season's normally been slow, but then his second season is where he's really picked it up. Uh, I think in Formula Euro 3 or whichever it was, um, you know, his first year was, nah, okay. Second year, he suddenly found something and, like, won every race after the midway season, point of the season or something. Um but, you know, I mean, Schwartzman's a rookie and he's been doing great. I, I say some of his drives are almost, they remind me a little bit of Hamilton when he was in the old GP2 series. So Ferrari have this wealth of talent and basically only one seat available. I think Giovinazzi's gone at this because I don't think he's really done that much. He hasn't done anything wrong, but he hasn't, not like a Leclerc, he hasn't made people sit up and go, wow, this kid's amazing. Yeah, um, I don't see him being... And also, you know, yeah, I think, yeah, he might, he might be him, an IndyCar two years from now. Yeah, I mean, if, if they wanted <coughs> Giovinazzi, he would have gone to Ferrari rather than Sainz. 
you know, basically, you know, you, at the end of the day, if that's, you know, if you're being honest about it. So you basically got three drivers and, um, Ferrari has the biggest, and I believe Mick Schumacher is actually doing FP1 for Alfa Maria this weekend. So the name goes a long way. You almost feel sorry for Schwartzman and Isla. You think they're in the wrong place at the wrong time with Mick Schumacher kicking around. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing, the name recognition. Yeah, and, and, you know, coupled couple with the fact that, uh, you know, we're all, there's still a lot of questions about Michael Schumacher's health. Yeah. You know, so you got yeah. that. We're almost a decade we're almost a decade to not know really much. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So 2013 wasn't it? I think he had that accident. So yeah, yeah. like December 13, yeah, 2013, which was my freshman year of college yeah. when that happened. Oof. Oof, I know time flies, doesn't it? Yeah. So, all right. So Andy Carr going to be in Mid Ohio this weekend coming up. Yep. Uh, yeah, Double header. Yeah, they they announced it on very short notice. <laughs> yeah, barely got yeah. that. Uh, you know, by the time I announced it, I didn't even have the website up to buy tickets. Uh, although people that had previously purchased tickets were uh, letting know that their their tickets were valid, so so those folks are set to go. Uh, Six thousand fans per race, but uh, I you know I I'm really intrigued at the double header uh, for Mid Ohio because if you look at the history of Mid Ohio. Um, there is a definite pattern of back-to-back winners uh, in consecutive seasons. Um, so, I mean, because you're talking Bobby Ray Hall, 85-86, Michael Andretti, 90-91, Emerson Fittipaldi, 92-93, Al Unser Jr., 94-95, Zanardi, 96-97, Castro Neves, 2000-2001, Scott Dixon, 2011-2012. Now, we haven't had a repeat winner since Dixon in 2012, although Dixon's won several times, it's not back to back. So, uh, but it just, you know, it just goes to show me that you know, if you get, if you, if you nail a setup on this track, you're good to go for a while. So you got you got to take a really good look at, at the guy that won this last year, which is a certain Scott Dixon, and the guy that 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 gave him fits and nearly won the race, which would be his teammate Felix Rosenqvist. Um, so, but I I feel like somebody could. Sweep this double header. I wouldn't be surprised, and I was, that was literally what I was thinking about. As far as who would I probably pick to win that any car race at Mid Ohio, I'm thinking it, I it would be back to back. But the way this season has gone so far, even with double headers, there's no guarantees that they could do it in consecutive weekends. But if I had to choose one, Dixon, of course. I want to cut out Rosenquist, but here's the thing about Rosenquist. He's not had the greatest of seasons at all. He hasn't really been much of a factor. Like uh, He won a I race. Well, yeah, he, besides he, that. He won a race. That's <laughs> I, You know what I mean. Besides that. But anyway, yeah, other than that race where he won, he, he's not had the greatest of seasons. I, I don't see how Penske would, won't do bad. I think they'll be fine. But yeah, if we yeah, see Penske, Dixon Penske, winning this thing, we Penske can... as a team has won a lot of races at Mid Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, and the other guy, the other guy whose style this particular track suits, a guy that's desperately needing to win is Rossi. And, yeah. and you know when, when Rossi when Rossi turns it on and gets in that mode, you know you know we saw him crush the field at the Glen a couple years ago. We saw him crush the field at Road America a couple years ago. If he get if if Rossi gets in that zone. 
you know, all, all bets are off for the rest of the guys. So it, yeah. it's, it's this is going to be a good race. And um, fingers crossed, we don't have a full course caution if that's going to happen for Rossi because, like Road America, there was just, it was Mid Ohio has had a couple years without a yellow. So keep that in mind come race day for both races. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be it'll be a great weekend. You know, unfortunately the the the, the timing of this whole season puts the race on network TV, the Sunday race, race two, uh, at 1 p.m., right up against the beginning of the NFL season. So it's, uh, you know, for, for IndyCar ratings, that's no man's land right there. Um, you know, I, I don't uh, – NFL is weird this year, too, with no preseason and whatnot. But uh, it's still it's still a big draw for a lot of folks. Um, and it's just, it just rating wise, I think they're going to get trounced. Uh, but hopefully t- folks will tune in, uh, NBCSN Saturday and watch this because mid Ohio is a great course. Um, you know, there's some, some great turns in there and, uh, you know, speaking of, you know, maybe a dark horse winner, uh, you know, recall that, uh, Graham Rahal won here a couple of years ago and, uh, the, the Rahal team has been doing quite well this year. Uh, you know, Sato was, uh, Graham had a horrible, uh, doubleheader at the gateway, but you know, Graham was third at the Indy 500. Um, Sato was very strong in both, uh, gateway races. Uh, and, and you know, at Sato's, you know, he's won at uh, Portland, which is kind of a bit of a similar setup. So you got to watch out for them Ray Hall guys too, cause they've got a lot of, uh, momentum behind that, that, uh, team right now coming off Indy 500 win. Absolutely. I would not count the Ray Hawk guys out of this equation. It's just a matter of certain things falling under lap. It's, it looks like it's been pit stops all season for them. Sato's strategy has been him a couple times. You recall Ray Hall at Road America. That bit him well. So they just got to master those pit stops, and the strategy kind of falls on their lap. If it does, there's no looking back. If it doesn't, then it's going to be the same song and dance that's kind of been the detriment to their seasons as far as being true legitimate contenders for a top-five campaign. Sato is there in the top-five, but Ray Hall, not much. Yeah, but Ray Hall loves him in Ohio. That's his hometown track. He's won there before. And I, I feel like, you know, I'm not I'm not a huge Graham Ray Hall fan, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, but I feel like he's in a really good uh, mind space this year. You know, I, I think he's he seems to be... You know, he's had some troubles this year, but he seems to be driving, you know, really smart and um, just, you know, it reminds me of Graham Rahal from, what was it, 2015, where where he had a, had a, a nice run and won three races and was, you know, contending for the title up to the last race. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like Graham's in a good place, gets along well with his engineers. I think they've got uh, some really solid engineers over there, Rahal. But of course, you know, for all this, we're you know we're talking about uh, Ganassi and and, and Ray Hall one night. It could be that you know that New Garden comes in and and Pagano and Power and just crush everybody. So that could happen too. <laughs> so you guys want to pick a winner for Mid Ohio before we uh, move on into some of our other topics? I'm gonna go with there's not gonna be back to back first race. I'm going with Rosa Quest second race. I have that stinking feeling that it's gonna be Pato's time. With Dixon finishing second. All right. And Richard, what do you think? Oh, Dixon and Award. 
Well, that's two of y'all picking on Ward. Yeah. So and well, he's he's knocking at the door. I'm gonna say it's uh, uh, Felix uh, in race one, and then Dixon. I almost want to pick Dixon to sweep, but uh, I'm gonna say that Dixon and Felix sweep, um, and the Penske cars are right there nipping on their bud. So all right. That being said. What other topics do we have on this list here? Speaking of Chip Ganassi. Speaking of Chip Ganassi and IndyCar road courses, yes, let's talk about Jimmy Johnson. Um, He had had his uh, test at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway after his test was delayed a couple times due to COVID-19. Really enjoyed um, being in the IndyCar. He, he, he hopped in on some of the IndyCar iRacing. Now he's, he's going to make his next career move. Will be in Indy cars on a, a part-time basis, uh, mostly road courses. I hear. Uh, he's still going to have some open weekends for occasional NASCAR appearances, but it's going to be with Chip Ganassi. Um, and at this point, it, it looks like it's going to be a fourth Ganassi car. Yeah, I'd is, imagine. Is, is that, that what you're hearing, Louise? Ganassi. I would not be good. awfully surprised, but the question is. Because they're going to have Johnson do if they find sponsors first foremost, of course. Road and street courses. Are they willing to put somebody to do the obols to keep that car fully active the whole season? Because we're talking about what, like 70, 80 percent of the IndyCar calendar being road and street courses. And so, will they are they willing to do something like with Ed Carpenter, where you have a road course specialist and then you have an oval specialist to keep that thing going? Because right now, I guess, just, I guess that honestly, that depends on how much funding they find. Because yeah. right now, right now they they have an agreement in principle. You know, it's not uh-huh. not a con not a contract yet, but it's an an agreement in principle. Should funding be available, right? Yeah, Should they because... find the funding? And, and I feel like uh, Jimmy <laughs> I mean... Jimmy's Jimmy's a pretty recognizable name. Yeah. Some somebody will will not mind slapping their name on that car because he's going to draw some eyeballs to that car as he uh, tries the next phase in his career. So uh, yeah, and remember, I mean, surely uh, surely Jimmy could actually like just fund it himself. Probably, but remember, didn't he pay his testing out of his, his test session in Indy out of his own pocket, if I recall? Uh, no. Okay. I no. heard somebody said that. And I somebody sure. said that. That's no. Chip, uh... Of course no, it's not Chip. Chip. No, Chip, I, I think, no, Chip can ask you to foot the bill for it. Okay, then it was some. It was somebody else then. All right. Just kind of explains a little bit, but anyway... They just had the third car this year. They re- expanded to a three-car team to add Erickson into the fold. And who knows about his contract status and the sponsorship? I imagine Dixon and Rosicus will stay put. But it's a matter of Rosicus. Yeah, and I think, I think, I think Marcus is – have money for a Ford. Yeah, I think Marcus is on a two-year, though. I think Marcus is safe. I, I you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Marcus is on a two-year deal. And, um, yeah, so if they add a fourth car, it won't be, you know, because Ganassi ran four cars for a while. Yeah, that was uh, a not successfully, like not Charlie successfully. Kimble, right? uh, Kibble was the third car. Yeah, and they had a fourth for what? Sage Karam. Oh yeah, right, for right. For a full Karam season, was, yeah, yeah, or wait, most of the like season. Dixon, Kanan, Kimble, and Karam. Right, and then they had um, Ryan Briscoe in the fourth car for a bit. Yeah, it was like I think it was usually the A car that was the 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 fourth car, what or whatnot. Yeah, the A. Yeah, was, number eight was the fourth car. Yeah, and of course Charlie Kimble ran number eighty three. So, but yeah, we'll we'll have to see how all that pans out. But it's a uh, uh, Jimmy's really excited about it. Um, you know, uh, public opinion is split. Some folks are 
are like, you know, what the hell is this all about? And other folks are, oh, Jimmy's going to be good for the sport. Some folks are saying Jimmy's going to get crushed. But, I, you know, honestly, my, my feeling on that is that Jimmy will do okay. I, think I mean, somebody I think pointed out well. that he's been very committed. And, like, he's fully wants to be invested in where result transition to success. Time will tell. Some people are saying that maybe he'll more be more committed than Alonso because some people are dropping Alonso. But keep in mind, Alonso runs multiple things. He's not interested right now or focused on running a whole IndyCar program, just the 500. That's something that people need to consider. Right. And then the other thing I want to throw out there, and these are comments from uh, Dario Franchitti, who would probably know something about the subject. But uh, uh, And these sentiments are also echoed by a guy named Kurt Busch, who also knows a little bit on the subject, that the transition from driving NASCAR to moving to IndyCars is inherently easier than the transition from transitioning from IndyCar to NASCAR. And that is because the IndyCar is more responsive, it has better brakes, and the limit is a lot farther uh, ahead than in a NASCAR machine. Uh, and so an IndyCar guy gets in to NASCAR, and they tend to overdrive the thing. Yeah, like even Montoya took him a while. He's driven like IndyCar's Formula Ones. That's another guy that made the transition. And then when he came back to open wheels, it looked like he had to skip in a bit at all. He could have exactly, won exactly, yeah, because you're because the because the, the limits of the car are 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 way beyond what the limit is of, of a NASCAR chassis. So you tend to overdrive the car. And you, I mean, this is this is spelled out in the movie Days of Thunder. <laughs> no, I'm that telling you, when he says, true. yeah, sure, he could, he can, he can, he's can he drive, yeah, he could drive past the limits of the car, past the limits of the tire, past the limits of the engine, if the boy would do what I say, we hardly never win a race, so, uh, you know, that, that being said, I think Jimmy's gonna, I don't know if he'll jump in there and win a bunch of races, but I, I don't think he's gonna be embarrassed, I honestly don't, and if you just, if you just look at the, um, the fine showing Kurt Busch put on, uh, when he, uh, ran the Indy 500, uh, a couple years ago, um, you can see that, uh, yeah, these, these guys are pretty skilled. So, and, uh, you know, I don't think that uh, Jimmy's going to get crushed or embarrassed is uh, is going to happen. I don't think he's going to set the world on fire, but I, I don't think he's going to be terrible. No, I'm so I'm, I know I've asked, this, uh, I asked this question, I think, that when, when this first came up, but uh, will Jimmy Johnson be the oldest debutant in uh, IndyCar history? Who's doing more than a one-off race? Uh, how old was Nigel I, Mansell when he Nigel, no, Nigel was 40, maybe late 30s, 40, 41. He certainly wasn't 46. Is Jimmy that old? He, I think he, so, yeah. No, I think I no he's 43. He was born, like, what is it, 75 or 76? If he was 75, making... then he'd be 45 now. I think he's yeah. 40, I think so he'll be 46 next year, yeah. when he... So he, yeah, he may be one of the oldest rookies to ever hop in. Yeah, uh, I mean, he didn't. Although, start... I mean, in in the modern era, because you got if you look yeah. at some of the the guys that ran in the in the very early years. age, yeah. you had a lot of uh, guys there uh, that were quite a bit older than than they are now. You know, racing's become a young man's game. So, and speaking of older debutants, we've got just a few minutes to uh, kind of, I guess, uh, talk about uh, NASCAR at Darlington and uh, the Throwback Weekend. 
We had um, yep. Louise. You get a chance to watch the race. We had a uh, Kevin Harvick was the was the benefactor of some other folks getting a little squirrely with one another. Yeah, I pretty much saw all three of those races. Like, of course, we had the ex- first off truck series was won by Ben Rhodes, who hasn't won since Kentucky a couple years ago. The Xfinity race was won by Brandon Jones from out of nowhere because of Ross Chastain and Danny Hamlin battling out. And the Cup race, we could have probably seen something similar. Like with Chastain and Hamlet, but with 15 laps to go, Martin Truex Jr., who won the first two stages, tried to make a pass on the bottom on Chase Elliott for the lead. He thought he cleared him. Nope, they didn't clear enough. They both hit the wall, and ultimately Truex had to pit. Chase Elliott just lost so much ground because they were both reported tires going down. And lo and behold, Kevin Harvick took the lead, but he almost could have had lost that whole ordeal because Austin Dillon was chasing him down. And up in the final corner, he was right there, but just needed one more lap to do so. And yes, I said, you heard that right. Austin Dillon finished second, Joey Logano running out the top three for that and, one. And didn't you like Joey Logano's uh, throwback scheme? I, I is, do. Is the, old, is the old Miller, the old Miller American scheme from Danny Sullivan's uh, Indy 500 winner? Yeah, it would have been nice if they actually had the number font that like it was supposed to look like. But that's a different story for another time. But it was not that bad <laughs> okay. of a team. But I, he had a couple moments as well where the, fin, the quarter panel in the rear got damaged, crumpled up because of a lot of shenanigans on the restart and involved Corey LaJoy and that old machine that has not a throwback. And that's all I can say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Could be a throwback in three months' time. <laughs> eh, well, uh, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, LaJoy couldn't. LaJoy just didn't go, and and he ran into Logano, but Logano held his own. He did just fine. But yeah, Kevin Harvick, another win, eighth of the season. He's getting a step closer, trying to become the first driver to get. He's on the verge of probably being the first driver since Jimmy Johnson in '07 to score at least ten wins in the season, which hasn't been done since 2007. Right, and the record is 13 in the modern era. Jeff Gordon. Yep. In 13. like 97 or 98? 98. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, Harvick's, uh, and, you know, and Hamlin's on pace, too. He's, he's right behind Harvick, so. And Harvick's wins surpassed Kyle Busch for, what was it, like ninth on the all-time win list with now 57. Kyle Busch has 56. It started to sound like Jeff Gordon and Rusty Wallace for a period of time, how they swapped spots before Gordon ultimately pulled away in the record book. I don't know if we can say the same thing about Harvick or Kyle Busch just yet. Kyle Busch needs to start winning races pretty soon for that to stop for that from happening, doesn't it? I was going to say, yeah. So we've got uh, so Harvick's locked into the next round. Yep. Um, Drew X looks really good getting sta- you know winning two stages. Uh, Dylan looks good with the second. So let's talk about the guys that are in a little bit of trouble. Uh, Keselowski had a miserable day. Yeah, the uh, Benedetto just couldn't get going. He had a rough night as well. So we're now we're looking at Keselowski and. I almost said Kenseth for it. Is it Keslowski and the Benedetto in trouble? You have a very tight battle with the Stuart Haas guys where it looks like two, I think only one can move on. That's Almarola, Boyer, and Custer right in the very tight battle. But we'll see how that goes, how things pan out at Richmond, which I shouldn't be awfully surprised if Custer does well on that one, considering his success in the nation Xfinity series. Speaking of throwbacks. All right, so we've got Richmond coming up next, and then what's the what's the uh, cutoff race 
or the Bristol. elimination race is Bristol. Because you got, you got, uh, yeah. So this is, uh, <coughs> you know, this is, this are a couple of uh, interesting tracks coming up. Uh, and elimination rounds. So four guys are going to go home after Bristol. So you guys want to pick a winner for Richmond before we uh, wrap up tonight? I'm going with Truex on this one. I think he'll get a third straight Richmond win. Keep an eye on Joey Logano. I think he'll do quite well. I think with that run that he had, I think he may turn it around. He may not set the world on fire like he did in 2018, but to start off this playoff chase, I think he'll be on a roll. All right, Richard. Richard, your thoughts on uh, going into Richmond? Yeah, Chase Elliott. Yeah, Chase was strong in Darlington as well, and he's he seemed to be strong in a lot of places. I I want to um, say that uh, Kyle Busch actually grabs a win here. That the dude is is way overdue. <laughs> you know, I I I almost feel like it's a safe bet. You know what I mean? Uh, that that Kyle's going to win one in the in the playoffs. I mean, if he doesn't, uh, he doesn't. You know, the other the other guy I'm thinking is um, Denny Hamlin. You know, I, I still think, uh, despite how good Harvick has been, for me anyway, Hamlin is my championship favorite this year. I mean, whether whether or not he pulls it off, I don't know. He's uh, he's come close before. He's probably the best driver not to have won a championship since Mark Martin. Just you know, mm. for historical context, I, I would say that, yeah, if you look at Hamlin's results in the different tracks he's won and, and the major races he's won, uh, for him to not have a championship is is like a glaring omission on his resume. You know, I'm, I'm sure him and Elio Castroneves sit and have a drink every now and again and lament that. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. Yep. Does, doesn't Denny have doesn't Denny have three Daytona 500 wins or is it just two? Yeah, three. It's, it's three. Yeah, so, like I say, yeah, him and Elio, <laughs> three three wins in a big race, no championships. So yeah, it'd be nice to see him get one. It would, it would, yeah. So I mean, I, I'm not a huge Denny Hamlin fan, but I, I just feel like this is his year, and I, I've kind of felt that all year long, even even through the shutdowns and the COVIDs. I think that he's uh, he, he's driving really well this year. He's got stiff competition for sure, um, you know, from from Harvick, uh, Truex, and guys like that. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, you know, like I say, I'm not sentimental at all towards Hamlin. But um, I just think his time has come. So, And speaking of it, time has come. Our time has come to end the show. Uh, so we got about 10 seconds left. So anybody have one final 10-second thought they want to throw out there before I sign off? Announce your races in two weeks in advance, not a week before. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's a good one. Anyway, so we are out of time, so I want to thank uh, thank you, Louise, <laughs> for that final thought. Richard, I want to thank you for all your insights. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and Google Podcast. And I want to especially thank all you folks that listen to us. Until next week, good night. Website, 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 